Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The population of the Bay Area is changing. There are stories every day about how people are leaving. Based on the past few years, some people call it an exodus. There are also changes to the racial and ethnic composition of our region. Today, we'll take the longer view, zooming out from just the past couple years to think about the Bay Area and California population trends. What's actually changed? How much has how we collect the data transform the statistics about our cities? It's not that demographics is destiny or that the trends will stay the same, but we hope we can all have a clearer picture of who lives here and what that might tell us about what our region needs. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I was looking through a great series of charts on the Mercury News uh, site, looking at Bay Area population trends, comparing the 2010 and 2020 census numbers. I kept noticing that the share of white residents across counties was in major decline. As a whole, by the 2020 numbers, Asian Americans, which is decidedly a huge, diverse group with members from dozens of countries, is the single largest racial group in the Bay Area. But census data is really complicated, and we know that the pandemic accelerated some trends and reversed others. So we're going to step back this morning and get a clearer picture of what's been happening to our population. We're joined first by the creators of those charts. Harriet Blair Rowan is a data reporter with the Bay Area News Group. Welcome, Harriet. Thanks for having me. And Ethan Varian is housing reporter with the Bay Area News Group. Thanks for joining us, Ethan. Hey, good morning. Thank you. We're also joined this morning by Hans Johnson, a demographer and senior fellow with the Public Policy Institute of California. Welcome, Hans. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Hans, let's talk first about this drop in residents who've identified solely as white in the census. Is that a reflection of a new white flight or is something else going on, Hans? I think it's a little of both. Certainly, California and the Bay Area have been experiencing large flows of people out of the region and the state to, uh, in the Bay Area's case, to often nearby regions in Northern California and out of the state. And many of those people who are leaving are, are white. Um, it is also the case, though, that the white population tends to be an older population, so it has a lot more deaths uh, than other groups, and that also leads to a decline in that population. That's interesting. You know, Harriet, um, this data was collected in the 2020 census, so, and it, but there's, it kind of dribbles out a little bit as they release more and more data. So what was in the latest uh, release that we got? 
Yeah, so the latest release uh, last week was the demographic and housing characteristics. There was also, um, there's been, yeah, there's a lot of releases that happen. So there's other data that's been released recently as well. But this is the most recent from the 2020 census. And it goes into detail about the demographics, age groups, race and ethnicity, as well as kind of people's living situations, where they're living, how many people they're living with, if they own their home or not. Those kinds of things. Yeah, Ethan, I assume as a housing reporter, that the that type of granularity in the data is something that you're really interested in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one piece of um, this new census data that we looked at was um, the change in household size between 2010 and 2020, and we saw household size um, actually increase over that time. And what that illustrates, according talking to some experts, um, is um, they attribute that to the housing crisis that, that we hear so much about. Basically, more people are staying with family, moving in with friends um, to sh- share the burden of these high housing costs. Um, now, that's a trend that's actually started to reverse in some ways uh, post-2020 during the height of the pandemic, which we can get into a little bit. Um, but that was one of the real noticeable things um, in this data. That's interesting. You know, Hans, from your perspective, looking at particularly this larger zoom out data, 2010 to, to 2020, and then we'll, we'll get into the post-pandemic period as well. What were the big takeaways for you? Like, what is, what's the picture that you see emerging of the Bay Area in what's really, in this case, kind of post-housing crisis to, to date? So I'd say one thing is that between 2010 and 2020, the Bay Area, uh, and I'm defining it by the nine county region, which right. includes Same here. North, yeah. North Bay counties, uh, actually grew uh, faster than the rest of the state. Now, that's not saying much because the state had its lowest rate of population growth ever, and we lost a member of the House because of that. Um, uh, and the Bay Area has always been a slow-growing region, hmm. but the fact that it outpaced the rest of the state was remarkable. And of course, a lot of that has to do with the Bay Area economy during that time, which overall grew rapidly. Uh, and especially for high wage jobs that required college graduates. And we saw at the same time then, as you've already alluded to, some changes in the demographic composition, most notably a sharp increase in the Asian population of the Bay Area. And in fact, Bay Area counties have some of the highest shares of Asian populations anywhere in the country. Um, and a large share of foreign-born immigrants uh, compared to the rest of the state even and the rest of the country. So, for example, Santa Clara County is 40% uh, foreign-born, either a naturalized citizen or non-citizens, which is remarkable for such a large county and, again, reflects uh, the robust nature of of job growth in the Bay Area. But um, as our panelists will uh, remark, Housing has not kept up with that strong economy, and it has led to, of course, the housing crisis getting even worse. Yeah. You know, probably the most prominent demographic conversation when people talk about housing is about gentrification, displacement, you know, in particular, the loss of black residents from places like Oakland. Hans, where does that show up in the data? How, how do you see that reflected in what we get in these census releases? So we've looked at migration flows from the Bay Area, and what we see is that less educated, lower income residents are those who are most likely to leave. 
In some cases, they're moving to places that we don't necessarily call the Bay Area, the northern San Joaquin Valley, for example, areas around Tracy. Um, and in many cases, they are still commuting back to jobs in, in, in the Bay Area. The overall picture, though, that emerges is one of the Bay Area becoming increasingly a home for those who can afford to live here. And that means we are skewed towards very high income residents, uh, people who often have a lot of wealth if they've owned their home for a very long period of time. Uh, the Bay Area, by some measures, is the wealthiest um, metropolitan area in, in the country. And that might sound good to a lot of people, but I think there's a real downside to that. And specifically that downside is that the Bay Area is not a place where low income people, including for some of us, our family members, our children, uh, or even middle income residents are, are able to live. And that's, that's a real problem. We're talking about the Bay Area's demographic trends over the last decade, really since the uh, mortgage bust. Uh, in numbers reflected from the 2010-2020 census data and beyond. Joined by Hans Johnson, demographer and senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California, Ethan Varian, housing reporter at the Bay Area News Group, and Harriet Blair Rowan, a data reporter with the Bay Area News Group. According to the 2020 census, the Bay Area is getting older, more racially diverse and wealthier. How are you seeing those trends reflected in your own life or in your own neighborhood? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. So I was wanted to talk a little bit about the post the the pandemic into the post pandemic uh trends. Ethan, talk to us a little bit about um what you saw in the data in the newer releases even beyond 2020. Yeah, well, um let's uh, I'll go back to that this idea of household size shifting which I think is is real interesting and I know um I believe we've my colleagues have talked to Hans about this so maybe he could expand on it. Um but this idea that once the pandemic hit uh, for the people who could afford to live on their own and to even buy their own homes, they increasingly um, moved out of shared apartments or even with family to go get get their own places. It's a it's a trend um, uh, economists and demographers call household formation, and the reasons for that were you know the pandemic hit, people were working from home, spending more time at home, um, wanted more space because um, because they were you know, their whole lives were in their apartments and they were tired of uh, being on Zoom calls uh, as their roommates were at the same time, essentially. So that that number of uh, household or people per households um, that had been increasing um, up until about 2020 actually has started to decrease um, since that time over the past couple years, um, in the Bay Area, at least. And I believe in California, or I think we have the data from California and we see it in the Bay Area as well. Um, that that's one real interesting thing to note um, on the housing front. Um, a- another interesting point, I think, and this is not from the census data, this is from some state data, um, but that we've actually seen housing production pick up um, in the past year um, to the highest level, I think, since the Great Recession. Um, and that's attributed to, uh, in large part, all of these s- new state laws that have been pushed through um, in recent years to make it easier to build. Um, now, having said that, I think the total housing stock last year increased less than a percentage point. I think it was about 
0.85%. Um, so that's still, while notable, that's still essentially a drop in the bucket of the 2.5 million um, statewide, at least that we that the state says we need, and the roughly 440,000, I believe, the state says the Bay Area needs to plan for over the next decade or so. Hans, I mean, I, you know, as I was combing through a lot of this data, one of the things that kind of surprised me was that between states, so like not counting immigration from other countries, but between states, California has really been losing uh, population really since 2000, right? So, I mean, this is a quite long trend of Californians leaving. It is a long trend, and it has been since 2000. What's different uh, with the most recent data that Ethan was referring to over the last couple of years is that flow out has accelerated and California for the first time ever since we've kept records has lost population over the last two years. Uh, and it's not a small loss by over 500,000 people. And almost all of that is due to more people leaving the state to live in other states. And what we observed, and this is especially true for the Bay Area, is that as people were able to work remotely, many of them, and, not, and, and certainly not the majority, the vast majority are not moving, but it doesn't take a small share for it to be a sizable flow. Many of them were working from home, that is working remotely. And San Francisco County has the highest share, along with Santa Clara County, uh, which of course is San Jose, of people who work from home and when you are able to work from home uh, and take your Bay Area or keep your Bay Area job, which often mm -hmm. pays relatively high income, to a place that's a lot less expensive to live, and specifically by that we mean less expensive housing, yep. then you could see why many people would make that choice. Absolutely. We're talking about the Bay Area's demographic trends with Hans Johnson, demographer and senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California, and Harriet Blair Rowan and Ethan Varian, reporters at the Bay Area News Group. Love to hear from you. What do you think the 2030 census might reveal? New trends. Numbers 866-733-6786. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. We're talking about changes in the Bay Area's demographics over the last decade with Harriet Blair Rowan, data reporter with the Bay Area News Group, Ethan Varian, housing reporter at Bay Area News Group, and Hans Johnson, a demographer with the Public Policy Institute of California. Harriet, when we look at the data and we see that people are leaving, do we see where they're going and what's, could, I guess we can infer what's pulling them there? Yeah, so um, the... 
we have data that comes, you know, that we've been talking about the 2020 census data mostly, but obviously they have data that comes out more frequently than that, mostly based on surveys and um, samples. Mm -hmm. And we know from that and from USPS data that uh, since the pandemic, at least like 100,000 people have moved from California to Texas. Um, And uh, some of our colleagues have, at the Bay Area News Group have done more reporting on this, but um, California had, you know, a, a large percent and a large number of out migrations, which is, you know, one of the four ways that our population changes, births, deaths, people moving out and people moving in. And um, yeah, so we've seen a ton of people move from California to Texas. And on that note, I was going to mention um, that one of the things that we've seen since 2020 is San Jose went from being in the top 10 most populous cities Mm -hmm. and has dropped out of that um, to be number 12. You know, I mean, Ethan, it feels like every show we do right now, whether it's about, you know, early childhood education or whether it's about teachers or whether, you know, it's about property, any of these things, They're all kind of housing shows. Yeah, sure. And do you, you know, just as a housing reporter, um, how are you thinking about, like, how to actually write, you know, individual stories as opposed to being like, yes, every single thing is tied up in the fact that we don't have enough housing here in the region? Yeah, that's a good question. I I do feel that a lot of times. And I know a lot of my colleagues feel that as well and will reach out to me with with questions and um, feel like it all comes back to housing a lot of times. Um, Yeah, you know, I I guess just speaking as a housing reporter, I always strive to find, you know, how is the housing crisis, you know, affecting real people, whether they are people, you know, in overcrowded apartments struggling to pay rent, whether they are, um, you know, uh, newlyweds who work at Google who still can't afford to buy a home in the Bay Area and are looking to move to Austin instead, um, whether it's people, you know, living on the street um, because they, you know, had an eviction um, and couldn't afford to uh, put down that first month's rent or those, you know, first two months rent that you need to get even a relatively affordable apartment in the Bay Area. Um, so, it, you know, when we talk about the housing crisis, I think it's important to remember that it it affects a wide range of people, and it's not just people at the low end or the high end. It's really everybody's feeling this. And like you said, it, it ripples out into what it means for our economy, what it means for our workforce, what it means for our school system, our healthcare system. It's really all tied together. I mean, Hans, if people are leaving, can we say in a blanket way, this is good or this is bad for the economy? Uh, <clears throat> It's maybe not that simple, but mostly I would say from an economic standpoint, it's not good. Uh, and I, I would add to Ethan uh, Ethan's statement and, and the excellent work that Mark News has, has done on this. And as you noted, their charts are pretty amazing and interesting to see. But when we have people leaving who are still commuting back, that obviously creates a challenge for those people individually. It's not a good economic or environmental situation to be in. And then I think also at the end of the day, if the Bay Area is not able to provide places to live for a full range of workers across different income, occupation, mm-hmm. and industrial uh, groups, it means that we aren't the 
very diverse place that we like to think of ourselves as being. So certainly we have racial and ethnic diversity that's remarkable, but um, we are in, in danger of, of losing some of the economic diversity. And I think that that is uh, a, a cause for, for legitimate concern. Yeah. Let's uh, bring in our first caller, Armando, now calling us from Taos, New Mexico. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Armando, tell us your story. Uh, I lived in California for 60 years, probably. And when I turned 70, I decided to move out of the uh, Fremont area mm-hmm. and move to Taos, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And the reason for it is the affordability I was able to use my GI Bill as a Vietnam veteran with almost less than $1,000 to get into the house through the escrow and all that. And I got a 4,000-square-foot house with a three-car garage, and I'm living in the uh, Kit Carson National Forest at 8,000 feet, and it's beautiful with trees everywhere. And uh, very limited population in Taos area. And it's a great mix of Mexican and American Indian um, Pueblo people that are very hospitable. And I fit right in here. You know, Armando, uh, what I'm... A, you sound like an ad for leaving the Bay Area. Not in a bad way, but just like it sounds very nice. It sounds great up there. Given that it sounds great, what kept you in the Bay Area for those 60 years? Uh, I was a radiologic tech, and the money was the best in any part of the country for hmm. for the pay. And uh, my mother was in her 80s, and uh, she's in her 90s now, and I was helping her get to the you know, get around day to day and and shop and cook together with her. And uh, all my friends are all graduates from Irvington High School there, and and they all stayed in touch for these. We're still in touch. Yeah. And uh, Hmm. I um, I I decided that the um, white population in Fremont was becoming the minority. It's more Middle Eastern now or Asian. And uh, the drivers are terrible. And it would take forever just to get across town with all the traffic. And uh, it takes 40 minutes just to <clears throat> go from one end of Fremont to the other. And on the freeways, are, you, you know, that situation. So. I got out of town. Oh, yeah. Armando, thanks for your perspective there. I mean, I think one of the things that Armando was gesturing at is just the way that peop- that these cities have changed, both adding population, but maybe not adding infrastructure. Um, you know, when we see hear of people leaving in, in this way, Hans, um, what do you make of the changes that the Bay Area would need to make in order to, you know, kind of retain uh, our population or add add more new residents coming in? 
Well, so Ethan already alluded to some of the changes that are necessary, which are we need to build more housing first. Uh, second, we need to build more housing. Third, we need to build more housing. Um, the conundrum right now over the last couple of years is that the Bay Area has built more housing at a faster clip than it has in the past. Again, not sufficient, but still better than we have been doing. And yet our population declined because of this number of people per household is going down. And again, Ethan talked about that a little bit. I think there's a real question about whether we're building the right type of housing. So certainly multifamily housing and large uh, apartment uh, towers uh, is, is um, good. You get a lot of units for a small amount of space, but a lot of people are looking for places where they can start a family, and like it or not, for many people, that means a single family residence. And the barrier buried doesn't have a lot of room uh, for that kind of growth. And I think that there needs to be some sort of assessment uh, to figure out a way to make some of that more dense housing more amenable and certainly, again, always more affordable mm -hmm. for families. Uh, and that would help stem some of the losses we're seeing uh, in terms of average uh, household size. And specifically what I mean by that is make the Bay Area more family friendly so that for people who want to have families and have kids feel like they have a home that suits their needs and desires. Yeah. We're talking about the Bay Area's changing demographics over the last decade, joined by Hans Johnson, demographer with the Public Policy Institute of California, and Harriet Blair Rowan, a data reporter with the Bay Area News Group, and Ethan Varian, housing reporter with the Bay Area News Group. Love to hear from you. Have you thought about leaving the Bay Area? If so, what keeps you here? Curious about that. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Email forum at kqed.org, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're KQED Forum. Let's uh, go to Don, who has a, a very interesting question about the sorting of America. Uh, Don in Menlo Park, welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call. One of the questions I had was, you know, we've talked about, you guys have talked about the migration due to housing. Um, but, you know, when you talked about, you know, California versus Texas, or I've heard a lot about California versus Idaho from friends and colleagues, um, although those places have are beautiful and have low costs of living and whatnot, their politics and the, the values, quote-unquote, um, are vastly different than California. And I wonder if the demographer and other folks have seen um, an influx back. For example, mm -hmm. my husband uh, is a software engineer, and he has friends who moved to Austin, and then they're, now they're moving back because... Um, I mean, Texas is not California, yeah. um, uh, and they have a different set of a different way of being. So I was right. just wondered if if they've seen any backwards migration or return. Migration. Right, Austin may feel like San Francisco, but it's in Texas, not California. Um, you know, Ethan, let's start with you because I feel like this may be one of the things that you're able to pick up as a reporter before it shows up in the data. Yeah, well, I, I will note we we can sort of see it in in some of the data um, looking at. I believe this is USPS data that, that our data team put together. Um, so like Hans mentioned, we've had more people leaving the Bay Area than coming here on a domestic 
level, not accounting for international migration. Um, so that goes back well before the pandemic. That goes back to at least 2017, possibly earlier. Um, so we we put together a chart that shows um, what that trend line looks like, the net negative uh, migration um, over time. And we see the negative going back to 2017 and then falling really dramatically right when the pandemic hits at 2020, staying down through 2021 and then starting to pick back up. And then where we are now is we're about we're about back to where we were pre-pandemic, meaning um, the difference between people moving here and moving out um, on a domestic level um, is back to where we were before the before the pandemic. Um, so I don't know if that necessarily suggests people are fed up with um, you know, what's going on in Texas when they moved there and thought it wasn't all that it was going to be cracked up to be and moved back. But we are seeing, um, you know, it, it appears fewer people are leaving now than they were um, at, at the height of the pandemic. Yeah. Another listener writes in, I lived in the Bay Area but could not afford the housing with my job. I ended up moving to Texas where I was able to get a place very easily. I have taken on a second job because I want to save up to move back because I don't like the politics here. But the affordability problem in the Bay Area is a challenge. Hans, how are you kind of tracking, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the years about sort of like the great sort of people politically in our different areas. Um, How are you tracking this? And do you see the movement in or out of the Bay Area as more politically linked? Or is it really these kind of housing structural issues that we've been talking about throughout? I I think uh, almost certainly the main factor is housing and cost of living. But of course, people move for a lot of different reasons. Uh, PPIC conducts a statewide survey, and occasionally we ask people if they've thought of leaving the state. And we do find that people who are on the conservative side of the ideological spectrum are more likely to say that they are thinking of leaving the state than people who are more liberal. So there is some evidence that um, politics might play a role. But when people are asked the primary reason why they move, They almost always cite either housing, jobs, or family. And on a net basis, for people who are leaving California, it really is housing that dominates. Yeah. Um, We have a bunch of other callers. Let's get to uh, Richard in San Francisco. Welcome. Yeah, hello. Yeah, hey, Richard. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, so... uh, I'm a high school teacher here in the Bay Area. That's um, a second career for me. I worked in tech for about 20 years, and I've lived in the Bay Area for over 30. And um, unfortunately, um, you know, when my second child graduates from high school in the next couple of years, I'm going to look really hard at leaving the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. In this new career as a teacher, I realize it's nearly impossible to make ends meet. Uh, housing is probably my biggest expense, um, but also other expenses add up real quick with two kids, one in college and one in high school. So, yeah, it's a shame because I love it here and I love the people and I've lived a large part of my life here. So it, part of me is really sad, but a part of me is also kind of excited about living in a new place. Mm-hmm. Richard, have you thought about moving, you know, downsizing houses or moving to another part of the Bay Area? Are you, are you, or is it really like when you look down the line at all the places, it's just so expensive relative to moving to, you know, Oregon or something? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about possibly relocating overseas, which I think is exceptional. But um, currently, I live in San Francisco, a couple of blocks away from my ex-wife. We have 
custom custody of our kids, and I, I like being close. Mm. Um, but I'm in a one-bedroom apartment as it stands, and, mm. you know, on the nights when my son is there, we share a bedroom. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just what can That's right. the only way I can make it work on my salary. Bay Area realities, yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, Richard, thanks so much for, for sharing your story. Um, you know, uh, Harriet, it's kind of uh, fascinating because, you know, as each caller calls, it's like they're one data point in this, you know, incredible tapestry that we get um, from the census data. Are there things that you're hearing in, uh, in what people are saying that you feel like are, are reflected um, really well in the data or not reflected? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting also to look at some of the dynamics that are different within the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, our there's been a big out-migration from the city centers. So if you look, we have um, one of our colleagues uh, did looked at zip code, like by zip code data, who was moving in and out since the beginning of 2020. And when you look at the map, um, pretty much all of the cities, Oakland, San Francisco, all had have big red areas where they lost more people than they gained. But there are some areas in the Bay Area that saw an increase. And those are mostly uh, across the hills in the East Bay, Livermore, that kind of area. Um, And when you look at who's coming and going within the Bay Area broken down by county, um, there's some interesting dynamics when it comes to income as well. So uh, some of the people, sorry, I'm pulling up these numbers, but some of the people, so for instance, in San Francisco, the average move out income was 171,000, but the people moving in were making an average of 106,000. So that's a dynamic that's played out since the Mm. pandemic. But if you look at um, some of our less uh, urban counties, the trend is the kind of opposite. It's lower income people are moving out and higher income people are moving in. It's oh, fascinating. We're talking about the Bay Area's demographic trends, really digging in and also zooming out. We're joined by Harriet Blair Rowan, data reporter with the Bay Area News Group, and her colleague Ethan Varian. We're also joined by Hans Johnson, demographer and senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking Bay Area demographic trends based on most recent data releases from the U.S. Census. We're joined by Hans Johnson, demographer and senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute, and Ethan Varian and Harriet Blair Rowan from the Bay Area News Group. You can find their great reporting on the data that's been released. Try searching U.S. Census, Bay Area Population grew older, and that'll take you right to some of these um, excellent charts. Um, Listener comments to read. Jeremy writes in to say, I'm an East Bay native. I did leave the Bay Area for about 10 years to New Mexico, and it was lovely there, much easier to live day to day. But I miss the cultural vibrancy of the Bay. That's like nowhere else. Cultural celebrations, food, diversity of people, and activist spirit. It's like nowhere else on Earth, and that's what drew me back in 2010. The only way to make the Bay affordable is to stay put. Now I've been in the same apartment for 10 years, and thanks to rent control, still have sub-$1,000 rent. I couldn't afford to move if I wanted to. Let's get to uh, Linda. Hey, Linda in Berkeley. Welcome. Hi. Hi there. I had this question about the difference between rental housing and condominium. And that is a lot of families, young people, once they've reached a certain point, they want a little purchase so that they can build on that and move on from there. And that doesn't seem to be happening because I think the economics of building housing means that rental is going to give you a better, better, better return over the long haul. Yet having condominium uh, opportunities for young families allow them to get a start, and even for any other family, the 40 acres and a mule, you know, you get started. So I wondered if your guests had any uh, data on the, um, the, mm-hmm. the new construction and how much of it's going for purchase and how much is just rental. Thanks. Good. Great detailed question, Linda. Really appreciate that. You know, Ethan, um, this is your uh, bailiwick here. I mean, can you talk to us about the economics of the different kinds of multifamily housing, that is to say condos versus rental units? Yeah, let's see what I can do here. Um, So there's definitely a push um, at the state level and at the regional level to build a lot more multifamily housing, um, including condominiums. Um, I will note, I think it, it is sort of an open question that which Hans brought up, do people actually want to live in multifamily housing, and or do they really want the single-family home? But but putting that aside, um, you know, I, I think there has not been as much condominium development as um, apartment development, and I think that bears out in the data, although I, I haven't looked at it closely. Um, but one thing that experts will tell you is the issue with condominium development is that the uh, there's a lot of liability associated with, uh, or a lot of liability taken on by the developer when they sell the condominium. Um, so they're discouraged from building condos because they're worried about getting sued by the new homeowner. Um, that's something that I uh, intend to look into a little bit more. I, I know there are uh, at, there's at least one state bill, I believe, that some of the, the pro-housing groups are pushing to roll back some of that liability. Um, but that's definitely something to watch, and that could be something at play here. That's interesting. Another listener writes in to say, what does the census tell us about the situation of black residents in the Bay Area? Has the population stayed steady or declined further? Do we know how many black residents own their home compared to the general population? And finally, how does this data influence the discussion on reparations for black people in California? Harriet, I thought maybe you could take on at least some of those questions uh, to describe the kind of the situation of, of black people here in the, in the Bay Area in, in terms of the continuing decline of the population. Yeah, I can. Um, so uh, looking Bay Area wide, and uh, 
obviously there's a few different uh, ways of categorizing the Bay Area, so I'll be specific. I, we were looking at the five-county Bay Area, so Alameda, Contra Costa, um, sorry, six counties, Alameda, Contra Costa, Marin, San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara. Mm-hmm. And there's some big demographic differences it between the counties um like alameda county for instance has one of the larger african-american populations um but it dropped in 2010 in alameda county it went from 12.2 percent in 2010 to 9.5 percent in 2020 and when you put all the six counties together it dropped from about six and a half to a little under five percent of the population Mm -hmm. um and that as as far as I can tell, that's a trend that's been happening for a while. Um, and I know that um, when you look at housing, home ownership rates um, at broken down by race and ethnicity, the African-American population has one of the lowest home ownership rates, um, which is something else that has gone down from 2010 to 2020 Bay Area wide um, across you know, groups. We've had a, a, a slight decrease but notable decrease in home ownership rates mm-hmm. um, for folks at- um i did some of the math at least for alameda county for folks yeah. who are interested in sort of the um uh, absolute numbers you know the black population in alameda county fell from about one hundred eighty-five thousand people in 2010 to about one hundred fifty-eight thousand people um in in 2020 as well and you know, we've done um, a lot of different shows on those housing inequities and the structural features that have gone into why homeownership rates are lower among black people. But it really goes goes back, you know, the, the Color of Law by Richard Rothstein will give you a, a very quick education on all the different um, government policies that, that led, helped to lead to that uh, situation. Let's um, go to Lisa in Oakland. Welcome, Lisa. Hey there. I had a question that was more related to aging, the aging population. Mm -hmm. It's I agree with your um, expert that people want to live in single family homes. Um, And I see that households are getting smaller, according to the data. But a friend of mine recently moved to the Berkeley Hills area with kids, little kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, how was it? She said, oh, Berkeley Hills is great. But all my neighbors are like 85. And we were kind of laughing about it because... These people were young people with families like 40 years ago, and now they're still there. But when an older person is in a three or four bedroom home in the Berkeley Hills, that means a younger family can't really move in there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, that's there's Prop 13 involved. And I don't know. I just and when my cousin, who's about 80, wanted to move to a condo, she said it was just so hard to find anything that's like a condo suitable for a, a widow and so she stayed in her large single-family home in the Berkeley Hills, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, Hans Johnson, you know, there there used to be this, I, there still is this concept of filtering, right, that people, different types of housing stock would end up changing populations just as sort of, uh, as people aged and went through different life stages and downsized and upsized and all the different things. Do you feel like the different laws, you know, um, Lisa mentioned Prop 13, but now we also have high interest rates, which changes people's kind of mobility as well. We've got a, a whole bunch of different uh, policy factors as well as economic factors in play. What do you think that says about the ability of our existing housing stock, not even building uh, you know, new housing, but our existing housing stock to sort of serve our needs? Are we have, do we have a lot of those kinds of mismatches as far as we can tell? We do have mismatches, and I think Lisa raises some really excellent points. One of the 
key features of our population between 2010, 2020 and ongoing is uh, the aging of the population. And in the Bay Area, which already tended to be a little bit older than the rest of the state, we see those numbers being even more dramatic. It's a tough question to answer in some ways or a problem to solve. A lot of people want to age in place. They want to stay in the home they knew. Um, but at the same time, for those who are interested in downsizing, uh, and again, as Lisa points out, there aren't a lot of options in, in the Bay Area or there aren't a lot of options in your in the places that you know. If you live in the mm -hmm. Berkeley Hills, trying to find a place where you might feel uh, is a suitable uh, downsized condo mm -hmm. uh, is, is very hard to find in, in Berkeley. Uh, and especially, again, the prices are very high. So I think we've got this um, problem where some people who want to move uh, and downsize just don't have the options available to them. And then the flip side is that for a lot of people, aging in place is is what they want. And, and I, I don't think we can begrudge them that. But at the same time, it means this turnover of neighborhoods that we saw historically is not happening at the same pace now as it as it used to happen. Yeah. A uh, couple listeners write in with stories about staying um, just barely. <laughs> um, Abby writes, I think of leaving California every day. I'm a liberal and we can afford to live here and we own a home, but wildfires, traffic and cost of living has gotten burdensome. I look at Vermont real estate weekly. We stay because of our jobs and friends. Another listener writes, we moved to San Francisco about 10 years ago and have repeatedly talked about leaving, but we've managed to buy a house, keep good jobs and keep our kids moving through a myriad of schools to meet their needs. But it is very challenging. The kids, though, do not want to leave. They've kept us here and will likely keep us here. On that score, um, Harriet, another listener wants to know, is it true that San Francisco has the fewest children of any major city in the United States? And why do your guests think that is? Interesting. Um, I don't know that fact in particular, but I, when you look at the kind of classic population pyramid mm -hmm. charts, which are generally in a growing population supposed to look like a pyramid with more at the bottom where the young people are and fewer at the top, you know, as people get older and, and pass away. Mm -hmm. When you look at San Francisco, it's, it, it's approaching a circle. It's getting, they're smaller. The, the people in the younger age groups are smaller than the people in the kind of middle. And then when you see the difference between 2010 to 2020, kind of the middle and the top of the pyramid. So the middle-aged folks and older folks have, have, has grown a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, while our, you know, younger population has continued to decline, which has affected lots of things, including schools, enrollment has been dropping for a long time and you know, it got much worse during the pandemic and is kind of settling out now. Um, and so the real life implications of it are, um, already we can see those already and it's it's a trend that's been happening yeah. for a while and seems to be continuing mm -hmm. let's uh bring in uh francisco in walnut creek welcome hi thank oh, you hey. for taking my call oh yeah thanks for calling go ahead um i like to i like to say that what, what we're missing is uh, the kind of middle housing where you can have, like, in a plot of land, instead of having a house for just one family, you can have, like, two or three small apartments 
and uh, you can have apartments that could fit in the same plot of land. One one could be for a family of, of three or four or five people, and then you can have another two apartments that could be for for like your elder people that they just live alone or they live together. Mm-hmm. And we need, I think, we need that mix. That uh, that's the middle part because usually what you get is either single housing or big apartments or big developments, and that's we, that's something that we're missing on neighborhoods around the area. Yeah. Hey, Francisco, thanks so much for uh, for that point. I mean, one of the things that I love about my neighborhood here in North Oakland is we have small apartment buildings. We have almost every house has this kind of crypto density of having cottages and ADUs. So even though it's sort of single family, there's also almost every single plot of land actually has more than one uh, family unit living on it. Um, Ethan, are, are there, you know, I know ADUs and a lot of the laws that passed to get more people able to build these accessory dwelling units, able to build, you know, little casitas in the back of their house. Um, were those able to actually drive a lot of housing production or have we not seen that yet? You know, we, we have. Um, that's my colleague or former colleague wrote a story um, about about that. And we have seen ADU production really skyrocket. It's really the one um, type of housing that's really increased a lot. Now, comparatively, it's still... A very small amount um, compared to the other housing that's being developed and, you know, the housing we say the state says we need and that experts say we need. Um, The other thing I would note is that when you look at some of the data on ADUs, on how affordable they are and on the prices at which they're rented out, um, it's usually not what most people would consider affordable. It's still, you know, upwards of $2,000, $3,000 a month in many cases. And people often rent them out to friends and family, um, often to family. And, and that makes sense when you think about it. And so in that way, it, it is quite helpful um, on you know an individual level. Um, I, I think it's unlikely that ADUs are, are going to be the solution to our housing crisis. And, and I think most experts would, would agree with that statement. Yeah. You know, Amy, uh, another listener, Amy writes in to say and you know, express a, a feeling that maybe other people are feeling out there who have queer kids or are themselves queer. I was born and raised in the East Bay where I still reside. People talk about leaving, and I bet the vast majority of them are cis men, female, identified, white, and straight. I'm a Filipino butch lesbian with a Jewish wife, and our daughter is biracial. Moving to another state such as Texas or Idaho or universe forbid Florida is not really a safe option. I just wanted to ask, is there a racial and sexual orientation breakdown of people leaving California? Hard to imagine the majority is queer people of color. Hans? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, the census does not ask questions on sexual orientation or gender identity in its uh, official surveys or in the census itself. And I say unfortunate because the goal of the census is to provide a snapshot of who we are as a people, at least one of the goals. And so there is this what what's called an experimental survey that the Census Bureau enacted during the pandemic that for the first time has asked uh, people uh, in the United States and California, of course, about their gender identity and sexual orientation. The um, problem is the sample size isn't very large, so and it doesn't have questions on migration, so we can't really say uh, how that intersects with some of these population dynamics we're talking about. But I think it's almost certainly the case that um, people who um, are moving out of the state 
are looking at those kinds of issues in some of the places they're moving to. So, so the comment um, makes a lot of sense to me. I would say that in the 2030 census, it will be really interesting to see whether these questions about identity get reframed. And there's a lot of discussion about how that could happen. I won't go into all the kind of nerdy nuances of how the Census Bureau collects this information, other than to say it is at, at some level a political process. And groups have um, protested and encouraged for themselves to be identified in the census. And certainly uh, gender and sexual orientation, uh, gender identity are some of the key questions about whether the 2030 census will collect that kind of information. If you want any readers out there want to um, or listeners out there want more on this particular type of issue, check out a book by Christina Mora, a Berkeley professor called Making Hispanics, which is all about kind of the these political questions around the census. Um, hey, more um, list- oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to add one thing. We did do at Public Policy Institute of California uh, an overview of those census experimental surveys. And it's fascinating in terms of how identity is changing. 20% of young adults, for example, in California, identify as either gay or lesbian or bisexual. Um, And we see the same thing in terms of gender identity with uh, increasing numbers, especially of younger adults identifying as trans, for example. Yeah. Um, we have a, a bunch of other questions that we're not going to be able to get to for this hour. You know, the effects of Prop 13, commercial versus residential development. Last comment from Wendy, who writes in to say, there are some neighborhoods in New York that have mixed zoning and are beautiful. You can grow up in a single family home, move to an apartment or a condo and stay in the same neighborhood with your same neighbors. It's the most important for older folks who shouldn't have to leave their network as they age. We have been talking about the Bay Area's demographic trends over the last, you know, let's call it 15 years. We've been joined by Hans Johnson, a demographer and senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California. Thanks for joining us, Hans. Uh, Thanks for having me. We've been joined by Ethan Varian, housing reporter with the Bay Area News Group. Thanks so much, Ethan. Hey, thank you. And we've also been joined by Harriet Blair Rowan, data reporter with the Bay Area News Group. Thanks so much for your work, Harriet. Thanks for having us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This has been Forum. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Rachel Myro. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.